This is Season 6, Episode 13, Reimagining Community with Beth Berry. Beth, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's really an honour to be here. Yeah, thank you. I'm so excited to see where our conversation goes and... Yeah, something I really admired about, I guess, the way that you talk about motherhood and your work is how you bring kind of a systems lens within that, as in um, the way that you speak about that it's kind of not our fault, right, that we're experiencing motherhood in this way because there's a total absence of, of collective care or community or the supports that we basically need to be able to thrive and survive as mothers. So I wanted to have that conversation, I guess, as a starting point, ask you um, what is a vision of the world that you have and how are you currently expressing or exploring them? Mm, what a great question. Um, vision of the world. Um, I, I really do spend a lot of time contemplating, uh, you know, if not this, then what, <laughs> you know, like where, where are we going? Because in conversations about revillaging and, you know, recreating community, um, I do think that there's a bit of a, a idealization that's happening, which is makes sense, right? It makes sense that we're all pining for and idealizing village life. <clears throat> I also think that there were probably a whole lot of things um, that were uh, normalized within village life in many different villages that we wouldn't want back, right? So I do think a lot about what is it that we're um, wanting to create. And uh, over and over, I come back to... Um, a culture where those who are most intimately connected to um, to caring for others who have a natural tendency toward caring um, because we're sort of biologically wired for it. Um, those of us who are tracking the needs of others who are... Um, uh, willing, sort of, again, wired to sacrifice toward the well-being of the collective, that we would be revered and sort of at the center as though, as um, instead of, you know, uh, completely taken for granted and sort of uh, like the way I see it right now, we're sort of building society on the backs of all of these unpaid laborers who are we you know mothers in you know specifically who are so um giving from for the most part from a, a place of love and true deep caring and i think that's really being um taken advantage of and so i see in a culture a culture I want to see and that I'm here to help co-create has actually mothers at the center because we're the ones who have, I believe, um, the, the most accurate read on what we need as a culture to be well. 
It's so beautiful just to imagine that movement of um, a revaluing of caring at the centre or care at the centre uh, instead of at the periphery. And I think that you're right to say that um, we've built this system where those who have the power and privilege are able to accumulate more on the backs of other folks and that those other folks might be marginalised folks or historically disadvantaged folks, but they're also mothers and carers and, yeah, and and just thinking about valuing that and honouring it and revering it Mm -hmm. and taking it from the margins to the centre. It's a really beautiful thing that happens in my body when I contemplate that. So thank you for sharing the vision. I'm, I'm really curious, I guess, how you came into this work and what your own journey was uh, around looking and seeking that connection and that village and that support and that revaluing of that role. Yeah. Um, I started uh, my mothering journey really young. I was 17 uh, when I had my eldest daughter, who's now 27. And um, so motherhood has been very central to my identity for a long time. And my sense of self was really built around mothering. Um, And that has been really beautiful and also really challenging because it meant that um, I didn't have much identity outside of motherhood for many years. And I had to sort of build that, um, not reclaim it as I see many, you know, in my work that I do with mothers, oftentimes if a mother uh, becomes a mother later in life, she's got something and and she feels like she sort of loses her sense of self, uh, a more holistic sense of self within motherhood that she often has memories. She can go back. We can dig back and um, sort of remember who she was before and what got lost along the way. And that wasn't so much the case for me. I had to just um, imagine um, based on even digging into, to childhood uh, memories, what lit me up and how I was orienting before I was caring for others. Um, So uh, what ended up kind of happening for me is because I started so young and sort of had this fierce determination to prove people wrong, you know, whoever these people were that I imagined would be judging me as a, as a, you know, a single teenage mom, um, that I would prove to the world that I was going to be, that I was an amazing mother and that I was really dedicated not only to motherhood, but to, um, sort of all things wholesome and (laughs) holistic and, Um, so I, I really, uh, my my combination of my passions, my idealism, my naivety, my youthfulness, the sense of that so many, you know, I have now a 27 year old, a 21 year old, 17 year old, um, and a 14 year old. And I see so much of the energy, like when I look at my 21 year old and the, the fierceness that she is, you know, from which she's ready to tackle the world, you know, take on the world and, 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 and make it a better place. I, I had that very much so. And it was through motherhood that that fierceness came out. So I, 
um, that idealism fast forward a little a few years and had more babies and it just <clears throat> started becoming less and less uh, the degree of passion and idealism I was living from was not sustainable. <laughs> you know, I was burning myself out without a community mm. and um, you know, now I can look back and recognize that I was really, my heart was in the right place, but I, what I wanted, like at the core, I couldn't have even necessarily named it then, but what I really wanted was to be a part of a group of change makers, a community of people who were fired up and organized, you know, and, and ready and take, taking on um, these challenges of the world together. And in the absence of that, what I didn't see was that, you know, um, I was feeling solely and single-handedly responsible for filling in the gaps of a whole community, mm -hmm. even just for my, for my daughters, you know, and I would look at them and I would see all their needs. And I felt so, um, mm, just so passionate about meeting their needs. I, they were so very worthy in my eyes of having their needs well met of this wholesome childhood of creative play of intellectual stimulation of time in nature, but even just those things I just mentioned, not, you know, not to mention, you know, <laughs> music lessons and <laughs> all so many things, right. Um, they, I saw them as so worthy of those things. And I just went straight from they're worthy. Therefore it's my job to make sure they get these things. Mm. And there was very little awareness at the time of the gap between their worthiness and what, um, you know, culture, their community is meant to offer all these things, not their, not their parent, their single parent or, um, you know, or even two, two parents in a single family household. And I just, um, because I hadn't really uh, seen, um, and, and actually that's not, good, that's not really true. I was going to say I hadn't really seen community models. I had, um, I grew up in a small church community that was very sort of grassroots um, and um, between soup kitchen and, and or, you know, um, gardens at the church, there was actually quite a bit of community building that I saw modeled. Uh, and I think that fueled my fire that fueled the desire, but I didn't want to do it within a church. And I didn't, there were so many avenues that I was pushing off against, you know, like I wasn't willing to go the fundamentalist Christian route in order to get my community needs met, for example. And I see that over and over among clients that um, there's a lot of deconstruction of cultural norms and narratives that we, that we, it's, they're too small, too small for what we're looking for. We're looking for a more expansive way of seeing the world. Um, and yet in deconstructing those things and expanding beyond and making different choices, we're also losing uh, sort of built in community and village. Um, so that, that creates a lot of, uh, mm, 
inner tension and grief for a lot of um, women that I work with. And now I'm totally disconnected from your original question. <laughs> I love it though. This is the best type of conversation for me is when we get disconnected from the original thing and we follow the threads. But I, I'm glad you mentioned grief there at the end because I feel like there is this collective grief that we feel, this hole in our hearts that we feel, this really deep sense of like it shouldn't feel like this, it shouldn't be like this, it shouldn't be so damn hard, you know. And I think what I'm so enamoured by is these conversations that we're having now um, among those of us courageous enough to be like, yeah, like I, I remember the first time I had a conversation with a friend and I told her, about how once my kid was screaming and I just wanted to drive the car into a tree, you know, and this like, and then her sharing her stories about those deep moments of like guttural primal grief and desperation and overwhelm and just the normalizing of that, you know, that no, it doesn't mean you're crazy and you need to be institutionalized. It's a very rational response to having to take care of a little being's economic needs, uh, family's economic needs, your own identity shifts that are happening at that time, this deep sense of wanting to do better than the trauma that we might have inherited within our bodies, like all of that, it's a completely rational proportional response. And so I think I, I have such hope, I guess, but I guess within that hope I think that the only way to move beyond the fantasy of the village, which many of us have, and like you said, which I love, you know, there is a lot that we don't want to move back toward. Um, how do you think that we grieve and really allow ourselves to feel the lessons that have come through trying to parent in this time and how do we take the best bits of a village and make peace with, I guess, and compost all that's come before so that we can move forward, not necessarily back? Yeah. Um, yeah, great question. Um, so I do really think that that grief and creating space for grief in our lives is an absolutely critical piece of of us collectively personally and collectively creating something new because we are um without that without space for grief we're constantly going to come up against the manifestations of grief in anger um and sort of bargaining we're doing like maybe if i tried this or maybe if i tried this we're we're trying if we're trying to escape the grief i actually think we're going to slow the process yeah i, I think we need to feel um um the loss and really acknowledge how primal and how uh, fundamental um and how tragic a loss it is that we don't have elders handing these traditions down. We don't have someone saying, here's how to build or rebuild community that we're having to sort of start anew, knowing in, not only on an intellectual level, but in our bones that not every generation has had to start anew because mm -hmm. it was passed down, that the, that the lineage has been broken in so many 
um, communities that having to start anew is, we need to grieve that. That's a really tragic loss, right? And so we've, I, I think creating that space is essential. Um, and to, to figure out ways to um, grieve when you're home with young kids, for example, is not easy because we're also afraid of uh, causing harm to our children by exposing, overly exposing them to our grief, right? So it's, um, uh, that's a challenge for sure that I see. Um, but I, this question of how do we take the best bits and move forward? Um, <clears throat> I, I think that uh, several things come up right away when you ask that. One is that I think we've got to use the tools we have right now, even though they're suboptimal, just like this conversation we're having. This is, it's, 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 I would love to be sitting in the, the same room as you, you know, I would love to be having this conversation in a way that feels more connected than through our screens. And yet how beautiful that we are across the world from one another and able to have this conversation. So um, being able to uh, take the tools that we have and utilize them um, best we can until better tools are made available, I think is absolutely essential. So, um, you know, part of my work is building um, community online and there's a, um, there's a lot of resistance to that among um, mothers who are deeply mourning the loss of in-person community. And I completely understand that. <clears throat> I also think that um, identifying our personal needs is a big part of this. And if you are the kind of person who can identify that you have a need for these types of conversations, then by all means, get find your community online and at least be having these conversations, you know? Like if we're holding out until we can find just the right community to plug into locally, we may have to wait a whole lot longer. So in my, my groups, um, my year long pro program is called Motherworthy. And these women are getting to know each other. We're not swapping childcare. We're not helping each other with, with meals. We're not physically in person building community together, together, but we are talking about how to make that happen. We are coming to better understand ourselves, our trauma responses, um, our, our needs, we're empathizing, we're getting some really key needs met virtually so that then it takes some of the pressure off of the dire need for in-person community and we can go, okay, I, now I better understand myself. I feel more connected in general and now I have more resources from which to draw to build local community. Um, so that's one piece is I think we've got to work with what we have because otherwise we have, we're going to hold out for too long. We, we really have to be creative. Um, and then I think a combination of self-awareness, I think self-awareness is a really important piece that we need in order for us to build community 
community in new ways and in ways that that we really want. But that self-awareness piece also needs to be combined with self-compassion. And so it's not enough simply to know ourselves and better understand our responses to life, but also to be compassionate with ourselves as we um, come to understand ourselves. Because then I feel like we've got um, add in some courage and creativity. And now we have the most essential elements for community building Mm. to be able to know oneself, to be compassionate with oneself, to be vulnerable with others. Um, And then to start, because if I know myself well, and I started to deconstruct, for example, my um, tendency toward hyper-independence, and which I have done, I, I now understand that I was proud of how independent I was for a long time until I understood that to be a trauma response, yeah. until I understood yeah. that to be one of the ways in which I was self-sabotaging. Um, it was conditioned into me, right, mm-hmm. by the, the overculture, it conditions that thinking. So if I can understand that about myself, then I can better understand what's getting in my way when I try to meet my neighbors, for example, Mm -hmm. what's getting in my way when I have this deep desire for community, but every time I try, I sort of have a freeze response or a flight response. And, and so that, that self-awareness piece, I think is pretty essential if we're going to, because then if we have a bunch of self-reflective people coming together and saying, okay, I want to be in community with you. And I also understand my shadows I, f- I feel like that's a um, that's gold, right? Um, because we the piece um, around actually developing community mindset happens experientially. Yeah, we can't just um, you know intellectualize our way there, but I do think there's a lot of repair work we can do as individuals so that we're better positioned to be to be community builders. 100%. I so agree with your take on like where we're at collectively and I think that um, me and Dave are really committed to building the skill, like their actual skills and the toolkit you described around self-awareness and knowing our trauma responses and then there's this whole toolkit around courageous conversation and um, open-hearted conversation, all of these things which are so essential should we be able to find our way back together again, you know, and to be able to hold and be in spaces that are diverse and rich and symbiotic. It's a skill set and it's a perspective shift that is happening, but I think we all wish we were there sooner right like I think there's this real impatience to be there and I really feel like this time all the work we've been doing kind of on our own regeneration is going to come to fruition because suddenly now you have whole cohorts of folks who are trauma aware and are able to see for example someone's behavior and not personalize it like that's a game changer that is what in all of my years of activism fundamentally puts apart the groups that are able to move forward and those that aren't. And so I I love that. And I also love what you said about, you didn't use this language, but I kind of interpreted it as well around using the tools that we have. And, and I also think there's something around re- 
redefining what community is, you know, that it's not always in person. It's not always people that look and feel and act exactly the same as you. In fact, that's a monoculture. That's not a community. And it's not always swapping meals. And community can be defined according to our needs in the moment and it can be defined according to um, whatever is emerging from the field, from from our relationships. And I think that that's liberatory for those of us who do feel that like real gap and that almost that freeze around I want this fantasy of this community and it's not here now to be able to redefine community and say, well, what elements are here now? And I think just as much as your movement was to go through deconstructing independence, I think mine was to move through at least one of them. Uh, this idea that everyone I was in relationship with owed me, uh, I was entitled to their care around my trauma. <laughs> I was really entitled to them meeting my needs. And if they didn't meet the precise need that I had on my heart at that particular moment, they were out, right? Like I had this, I carried this really strong sense. And, and it really, it really transformed actually through the relationship with my mum and realising how much she was showing care and community and it was just not in the exact precise way that the wounded parts of me needed. And she recently came up. Um, We always had these huge tensions. I was wanting her to be emotionally there and she was wanting to be practically there because her trauma was that's what was kind of modelled and taught to them, right, is just to take care of the physical needs and the emotional stuff would kind of take care of itself in some way and and she came up recently and looked after our house while we were away so we could have a break with the kids and go camping and I got home and I opened the cupboard and it's, it's gonna bring me to tears like there was new tea towels in the linen cupboard and I just just brought me to my knees because it was like here's something that I haven't done for myself like I've been thinking about I really need new towels for years and she noticed that and she took care and that was the care she knew how to take in that moment, you know. And it's Absolutely. not to say that, of course, we can't grieve all the ways that we weren't met, but is it everyone else's responsibility in our community to meet them or is there other ways that we can heal in relationship? I think it's relational so that we can move into relationship not from a place of heal me and help me but from a place of, like, let's work let's work towards something more beautiful together. Yeah, absolutely. I love, I love that you told that story about your mom. It's such a, a beautiful reminder, particularly for those of us who are doing so much work to heal and identifying patterns passed down through the generations that we don't want to repeat. And I think there's some, some, there, that's a really necessary thing and beautiful thing then you know to be healing um generational trauma and um it has been incredibly important for me and and women I work with to also be able to go okay I didn't receive these things from my my folks but and what did I receive and also recognize that their offerings to our generation are um, necessarily different than our offerings to the next generation. Yeah. We are not here for the same purpose that they were. It's 
um, they were creating, laying a framework for us to be able to have conversations about emotional wellness. They didn't have the structure in place for that yet. You know, the safety, or the safety, right? There wasn't even, yeah, there wasn't even that baseline, that co-regulatory safety to have that conversation. I don't believe, right? And so, if we're expecting that they uh, did that work, that actually it's our generation's work to be doing, then we're sort of, um, I think, discrediting in somewhat. And this maybe is part of the loss of generational wisdom passed down is that we're kind of missing how this works. I yeah. think we, we don't really get that because we're, we're so accustomed to like, now I understand a thing. And so I, it, we, we want this, we're, we're this culture of, you know, this era of instant gratification. So we're like, I'm ready to heal. And therefore everyone needs to get on board um, <laughs> and not understanding the, the unique challenges of each generation and and what it is to give a gift from one generation to the next and then for us to sort of take the baton and and move on down the line um and and that that to me has been really um essential to my own healing and also to my because now that I have adult children I'm seeing that I did not give them all the things that they will need in their lives for thriving in their childhood. Yeah. I didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't know. No one can. They, I missed things, right. They were wounded by the world. They were wounded somewhat by me, by our family system. It was imperfect. And now um, if I'm not able to extend a certain amount of grace to my own parents for the limited you know, the, the ways that they loved me imperfectly and cared for me imperfectly, then I am also uh, modeling for my children um, that they, <laughs> despite as, as hard as I tried, that, that perhaps they ought not extend that grace and compassion to me, mm-hmm. right? And so if I'm wanting that and hoping that my kids will see that I worked really hard to give them the very best I could um, with the limited understanding and limited tools. And uh, you know, that, that I, I also want to be able to extend that to my, to my own parents. And that's a journey, yeah. right? First, sometimes we have to feel the anger for the things that were not given or the mistreatment that we received. And it's, but it's both. And it's, a, it's the paradox. Yeah. Know? Yeah, and I love that. And as you're talking, I'm just thinking about the power of like zooming out on all of this, you know, because in an individualist kind of colonial capitalist society where the individual and the family, the, you know, immediate family unit is the kind of the unit, the productive unit, then um, we can't zoom out and see the context either for ourselves or our parents. Like we can't, I think if we're going to grieve the care that we didn't receive from our folks, then we have to be equally prepared to grieve what generations upon generations of trauma and neoliberalism and, and kind of toxic patriarchal society has, has left as well. You know, like it's, I just feel like you you can't, remove the context from this conversation. And I think that for me that's been enormously 
reparative to be able to see both zooming out and seeing the context that my folks were raised in and their own trauma and like all of that family system stuff, but also the soup that they were living in at the time and the expectations that they were upholding within the family system and within the culture. And I think that holding both that self and system lens is so vital. I also think that zooming out allows us to see that, well, if right now I'm in, and I'm in a particularly intense cycle with some consulting work I'm doing right now, and and I know it's going to pass, but right now, like the economic needs of the family are taking precedent in my life in this particular moment in time in this week. And so I don't have a lot of bandwidth for the emotional needs, but if I zoomed out, And I could see all the people around me that had capacity to hold my kids' feelings for me in this this moment, including my partner, but also the people we're in relationship with. Also, of course, my parents who are now completely emotionally available to my kids because they're not under the same pressures they were, then you see that wholeness in a village, you see the diversity, you see this moving around of capacity And then the expectation that we think we need to have that capacity every single day, 365 days of the year becomes farcical, right? Like we're able to see it for what it is, which is an absolute illusion (laughs) fantasy that doesn't exist and couldn't exist for anyone. And I just feel like zooming out is always so helpful. Yeah, I think you're really right about that. And I think one of the reasons it's sometimes challenging to zoom out is because we're um, our, our basic needs as mothers are not being well met. So we're, when you haven't, you're not getting regular sleep or, um, you know, you haven't had a break for your nervous system in weeks or months that it's really hard to, to think big picture. It's hard to access creativity, resilience. Um, and so I, I think when you get to that place where you're just in the narrow, sort of depths of despair like really so many mothers are right now um that that the first thing to be looking at is your unmet needs yeah it's working on the sleep forget about the big picture (laughs) in those moments and start looking at ways to tend your own um nourishment and ideally you would have community members stepping in and doing that for you um there's another grief point right that when we're that depleted that um, something in us knows there's there's meant to be someone there to uh, pick up the burden while we when we're you know at our lowest and the fact that that's not there for a lot of people um, I think is so important to acknowledge um, the grief in that and um, but that but that getting back to those it's, it's sort of like going small in our thinking and our vision and then and then big again it, we really need both of those the ability to go okay I cannot think big picture today because I can't even um, feel okay about get, making it to dinner I you know I'm just I'm, I'm in it and a nap it's just a nap that's it that's the only thing I'm thinking about not how I can be of service in a bigger way um, so it, I think we, we need both those skill sets um, these days yeah about the community I love that you that you reminded me and us of that physiology you know the physiological and neurological psychological like 
survival part, you know, like how our, how we hold ourselves and how we think and how we are when we have basic unmet needs. And, yeah, it's a beautiful, tender reminder to let the nap be enough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because, because that's our quickest way back to being able to live from our values again when we're not very well, you know. Um, and it's, it's just a, there's a simple needs and values correlation. When our needs aren't well met, it's hard to, to live from our values. Um, so I think if we can hold that knowledge that can really help us to to extend more compassion to ourselves again and and intend ourselves well and see the value in that instead of only the tending of others and yeah. caring for others that the, the caring for ourselves um in those really basic ways um is really uh the foundation of being able to be of service in the world mm. Yeah, it's a beautiful reminder. I think you've kind of answered it there, but I'd love to finish just by asking, I guess on that on that tension is now having adult kids, how do you think that we can regenerate ourselves whilst living in a culture where our regeneration isn't um, enabled or encouraged? <laughs> like how do we... How do we do that on a micro level? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we balance yeah. that, that really basic need um, whilst trying to transform, I guess, the cultures in which we live? Yeah. <clears throat> um, I think a big part of that is constantly evaluating the messages from the overculture. And deciding if those, you know, when I'm asking myself a question about prioritization, for example, what am I going to prioritize in my day, in my week, in my, um, in my busy schedule that we keep coming back to, am I making this decision based on the world I want to see or the world, the dying world, the world, the world that I'm coming from? Um, the one that I'm trying to deconstruct because so often we're making decisions still from the mindset of someone who is um, very much, you know, in survival mode in the world that, that we're living in, which makes sense. But the more we can start to go, you know what, that story I've been telling myself, that's actually based on um, a version of the world that I'm not here to co-create it's not that's not it for me and so um I'm I'm going to de-emphasize that give that less attention because I can tell that's old world thinking that's that's um it's antiquated and I think if we can start to understand okay like I'm I'm here to create a more beautiful world um that is more community-centered then that can help us to to with that prioritization um but, you know, how do we regenerate ourselves? I think a lot of it, too, we can look to the natural world, mm. for examples, um, and that not, just, not just as an occasional thing where every once in a while I, I contemplate, um, you know, <laughs> the, the mysteries and I remember to look at the moon. You know, I, I think it really so many of the answers we're seeking are actually right there in front of us in the natural world that we need a more intimate relationship um, 
and not in an ideal, we've got to strip away again. This is another grief point. You know, we, it is so easy to go, okay, I, I want more um, of an intimate relationship with the natural world. Um, but I don't have it right out my door or I have, there's like all these friction points between where I am and actually getting out in it often and, um, or like getting my kids out in it often, whatever it may be, but that to, to build in nature connection as a daily practice, as a way, not just to say, Oh, it's good for us to get out and get fresh air, but actually there, that's where the answers lie. When we can get still and pay attention, I mean, when I'm out on hikes and I'm looking at, you know, like right now I'm working on building um, healthier, uh, more um, <clears throat> vital, vibrant systems within my business. And so every time I go out into the woods and I notice the way <laughs> not, um, you know, industrialized systems work and you know, um, but, but I go out and I look at river systems and I look at ecosystems. I start orienting in a different way. I start paying attention to different things. I start being able to see through a different lens that I think is going to get us back to where you know, that's going to take us to what we're wanting a whole lot quicker than if we are um, limited in our exposure to the natural world. I think we've got to see you know, nature as the, the ultimate guide and teacher to take us back. Mm. I always say it's like there's this thing that's four billion years in the making that can show us a lot about exchanging resources well, <laughs> you know, and looking after resources well, and it's all around us. So yeah. I love that reminder and I love the imagery of river systems and ecosystems and that wisdom guiding us. I think it's a beautiful place to end. Beth, I'm so grateful for your wisdom and for this conversation. I feel really full from it. So thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation with you. It's been really rich. Mm -hmm.